This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. This morning, 1 Peter 3, as we get back into our study of uh, of 1 Peter, and we've been talking about the living hope that we have in Christ, and this morning, we're talking about hope and suffering. Suffering is a, a reality in a fallen world, and God's Word equips us to suffer with hope. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look this morning at verses 13 through 18. I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard uh, Bible, if you all would stand uh, as we look at God's Word together. 1 Peter 3, and let's begin with verse 13, hope and suffering. Peter says, who then will harm you if you were devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. <clears throat> for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that as we come before your word right now, that you would speak to us um, by the power of your spirit. We know that we're going to suffer. It's just part of, it's part of doing life in, in a world that is, is broken. And we thank you that your word equips us to do that with, with a living hope. And so... I'm aware that certainly in a crowd this size that there are some who are walking through times of suffering and pain today and they've come with a a burden in their heart. And Father, I pray especially that you would, would speak to them today and encourage and refresh with your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So over the past couple of, of weeks, I uh, was able to, to travel and, and be among some people that are sacrificing and suffering much for the advance of the gospel. And it's just a reminder to us to pray for the persecuted church, to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world who are suffering for their faith. But all of us are going to suffer in a fallen world. If you're not suffering today, then you will be at some point. It's, and it comes in all kinds of forms. Sometimes it, it comes in unexpected ways, but suffering comes. And God's word 
equips us to suffer with hope, the living hope of Christ. And that's what Peter is is talking about, not only in in this text in chapter 3, but the theme of suffering really winds its way all the way through this epistle. Let's kind of review some verses and and, and see how this theme uh, goes all through this letter. We we saw in in chapter 1 and verses 6 and 7 that that Peter says there, You rejoice in this, even though for now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said in chapter 2, in verse 12, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. In chapter 2, in verse 19, He said, for it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. Again, in chapter 2, in verse 21, he says, for you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. In chapter 4, we're going to see in verses 12 through 14, that he says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Again, in chapter four and verse 16, he says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Again, chapter four and verse 19, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. So this theme of suffering is one that winds its way all the way through this letter, but it is paralleled by another theme. And that is the fact that that suffering for the believer, first of all, is not going to last. It is temporary. It's not going to last. God can be glorified through it, and he will give you a joyous hope within it, in the midst of it. And that's what we see here in this text in chapter 3. So as we look at verses 13 through 18, if you want to take notes, there's an opportunity to do that on the back of your bulletin. And the first point that we see here is one about blessing and suffering. Blessing and suffering. Let's check out verses 13 and 14. Who then will harm you if you were devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are Blessed. So at first, verse 13 seems kind of puzzling. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? Because what's happening is that these people are suffering because they are devoted to what is good. They are being persecuted because they, of their devotion to Christ. 
But what Peter is saying here when he says, who then will harm you if you were devoted to what is good? He is saying that as a believer, no ultimate harm can come to you. Because what's the worst thing that people can do to you? They can kill you. But for the believer, as Paul says in Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ and to die is what? Gain. So for the, for the worst thing that can happen is that someone can take your life. But for us, dying is gain. And so therefore, no ultimate harm can come to us. The missionary martyr Jim Elliott recognized this after he was martyred in Ecuador in 1956 and his journals were discovered. One of the things that he had written there was he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And and in fact, Peter is saying here that, that not only can no ultimate harm come to you if you are in Christ, but that if you suffer because of your faith in Christ, there will be positive blessing and eternal reward in that. Look at verse 14. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Now this echoes what Peter had heard Jesus say on a a hillside one day in Galilee. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So think of the situation of Peter's original readers. They were in the Roman province of Asia, now Turkey. We've talked about the fact that they were suffering they had, there was no modern communication. There was no internet for them to understand that, that Christians were suffering all over the world. There must have been a temptation for them to think that they were all alone in their suffering. And that God had abandoned them in their suffering. And that maybe even that they, they were suffering because somehow God was punishing them. And, and Peter is saying, no, no, no. And not only is he not punishing you, but your suffering is not going to last and you are going to have a forever blessing if you suffer for doing what is right because of Christ. Blessing and suffering. Second, courage and suffering. Courage and suffering. Look at verse 14. Peter says, do not fear what they fear or be intimidated. Now, as he does so often in 1 Peter, Peter is reflecting on a passage in Isaiah. He's reflecting on a passage, in this case, in in Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah 8, verses 12 through 14. God says, do not call everything a conspiracy that these people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. 
Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. He will be a sanctuary. So the context of Isaiah 8 is that God's people were were tempted to, to fear other human beings. And Isaiah is warning them and saying, don't do that. The fear of man is a snare. Only fear God. Hold God in a reverent awe and live for him. Instead of fearing human beings and what they could do to you, live with a reverent awe of God, a love for God, and he will be a refuge. He will be your sanctuary, your fortress. And so he says here in verses 14 and 15, going back to verse Peter 3, he says, do not fear what they fear or be in- intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. This is a painting of uh, one, of the, one of the early Christian martyrs. Her name was Perpetua. It's an amazing story. She lived at the end of the, of the second century. She lived in Carthage, North Africa, which is now Tunis. And Perpetua was born into nobility. Uh, she came from a very privileged, uh, well-to-do uh, family, but, but not, a, not a believing family. She came from a, a pagan family, but somehow she came to know Christ And so Perpetua was part of a a class of five people that was preparing for baptism when she was arrested by the authorities for her faith in Christ. And the penalty uh, was to be thrown into uh, the arena uh, with gladiators and and, and lions, which is what is portrayed in in the painting. And eventually that is what, what happened to her. She was martyred for the sake of Christ. But after she was put in, in prison, her father, who was not a believer, came to her and pleaded with her to renounce her faith because he knew that if she renounced her faith in Christ, they would let her go. And so her, her father came to Perpetua in, in prison and he, and he said, just, just say that you're not a believer. You don't even have to believe it in your heart, but just say it and they'll let you go. Perpetua pointed to a, a vase and she said to her father, could it be called by anything, by any other name? And he said, no. And she said, neither can I call by, be called by any other name than what I am, a follower of Christ. He came with her a second time and pleaded with her to renounce her faith. And Perpetua said, it will all happen in the prisoner's dock as God wills. For you may be sure that we are not left to ourselves, but are all in his power. She was ready to give a reason for the hope that lay within her. Are you ready? Are you ready to to share your faith in Christ? Are you ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you? How are we to do that? Look at verse 16. He says, yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ 
will be put to shame. Telling other people about Jesus is part of loving them. It's part of love. When we think about witnessing, when we think about personal evangelism, we should think about it that way. This is part of loving people. It's, it's just an overflow of our love for other people to tell them about the good news, to tell them about Jesus. And how do we do that? We do that with gentleness and respect. Courage and suffering. Third, Christ and suffering. Christ and suffering. Verses 17 and 18. He says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Now remember, Peter is writing to people who are suffering for doing good. And now he points to the ultimate example of someone who suffered for doing good. And that was Jesus. But Jesus suffered in a way that we can never suffer because he suffered for our sins. Fleming Rutledge says this, how do we measure the size of a fire? By the number of firefighters and fire engines sent to fight against it. How do we measure the seriousness of a medical condition? By the amount of risk the doctors take in prescribing dangerous antibiotics or surgical procedures. How do we measure the gravity of sin and the incomparable vastness of God's love for us? By looking at the magnitude of what God has done for us in Jesus, the Son of God, who became like a common criminal for our sake and in our place. And why? Why did Jesus do that? Verse 18 tells us, Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. That he might bring you to God. Because there was a chasm between sinners like us and a holy God that could never be bridged. We could never bridge it. And Jesus bridged it through the cross. There was a a crushing debt that we could never pay. And Jesus paid it. He paid it all. Speaking of payments, I read something recently about a a guy in in, in Raleigh, a guy named Kieran Healy. And uh, this is a time of year when hot temperatures and you never know what the utility bills are going to say when they arrive um but he got a he got a bill this is his water bill and he got a, he got this bill and and the the the, the monthly bill was for 189 dollars and 72 cents well, that was pretty normal and then he looked down and there was an additional service charge of 999 million <laughs> 999,999 cents. And so Kieran was pretty sure he hadn't used that much water in the previous month. Um, so he took to Twitter, and, uh, and he, he, he tagged, he tagged the, the water provider and asked him, could I possibly pay you, uh, pay the balance in installments? 
And uh, they, they quickly responded uh, by saying that this was a, a, a software error. The idea of, of paying a debt of $100 million you know, seems unfathomable, but, but that's nothing. That is nothing compared to the debt that we owed, the sin debt that was crushing us. And we had no way of getting from beneath it. And what did Jesus do? Colossians 2 and verse 14 says, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And it's taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible love that we see in Christ, the ultimate example of suffering for what is good, but we know that our Savior suffered in a way that we could never suffer when he suffered for us, when he bore our sins in his own body on the cross, that our debt could be paid, that we might live, that we might be free We thank you that it was paid in full for all those who will turn to Jesus and trust him. And Father, I pray for anyone who's here today who's never done that. Father, I pray that you would work in their lives today, that they would see the great love of Jesus for them and that they would turn to him in repentance and faith and experience the new life and eternal life that is found in Christ. Father, help us as, as believers that, that when we suffer, that we would do so in a, in a way that brings glory to you and that reflects the hope that we have in the gospel. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. 
and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.